Hi, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast, episode 137. Good to be back after a week off. I hope everybody had a great Easter, great Easter holiday, great Easter weekend. We've got some really good topics lined up here. New episodes within the next few weeks. So thanks for joining us, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and on YouTube, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast YouTube page. Okay, our topic today, you probably saw the title when you clicked on our episode, Standing in the Batter's Box. That's our main topic today. And you're probably wondering to yourself, how are Jim and Jake going to make a 30 to 40 minute podcast about standing in the batter's box? Well, ye of little faith, this is the best hitting and coaching and baseball podcast out there. And we will find a way to do it because that's just what we do. All right, Jake or Raker, you ready? Ready to get going? Professional evaluator, successful business owner, my former coach, current day coach, friend, co-host. Jake Epstein, drink your coffee black, which explains a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> so I made my hair gray. I'm drinking a lot of tar, basically. Yep, I got I got the uh, my employee working on a cup of coffee now, so I can make it through the show. Because obviously, forty mm-hmm. minutes of where to stand in the batter's box is going to take some ingenuity. I don't know about that. No, I, I think there's. I already a lot have of things- it scoped out. This is a good yeah. topic. Very good topic, actually. <laughs> There it is. Three three weeks in a row with the camera. It only took you what? Two minutes into our episode. Two minutes. That was week. better for me knocking the knocking the camera. I off. saw you t- when I was introducing the show, I saw you touching the microphone as well. Yeah, I had to turn up the make sure the volume was up. So we'll see we'll see the streak with, with, with that element of things. We've got three weeks with with touching the camera for whatever reason. Now yeah. we're starting a new streak with touching the microphone. Yeah. All right, standing in the batter's box. That's our main topic today, episode 137. Again, thank you for joining us. We do really appreciate that. And talking about standing in the batter's box, just to give everybody kind of an overview, it's really all part of the strategy of trying to one-up the guy that you're facing 60 feet away on the pitcher's mound, standing in the batter's box. And it's oftentimes overlooked. And I know for a fact that it's never really talked about. It's not talked about. And it, and you have to – everyone's different. I mean, turn on a game. How do they stand? Where do they stand? How do they stride? Big stride, little stride, wide stance, narrow stance, wide base, close to the plate, away from the plate, way back in the box, middle of the box, probably not the front of the box. Um, you know, like different, what is best for your player? If you have players and and we'll get into this more, but mechanics play a huge deal on where you should stand in the box. Not everyone should stand in the same part of the box based on how well their hands work. If you have a longer swing, Hey, we try to make everybody short. We try to make everybody Vlad Guerrero jr. Right. But not everybody can do that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you're a little bit longer, let's say like, Albert Pujols, he was pretty good, and his front arm was a little bit straighter, and he stood further away from the plate to compensate for it. So we have to figure out what is what is best for you as a player and what is comfortable for you as a player. Um, as an amateur, especially when, hey, I got hit last week. I get this every single week that I'm doing my online academy. Somebody writes in, hey, we're we're battling a little bit because he, you know, he or she got hit by a pitch and now all of a sudden we're starting to get tentative and we're, we're not moving towards the plate. We're kind of moving up and out. You know, what can we do to fix that? And all that plays into where do I start in the box? Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this topic today. Again, it's not something that's talked about. Everybody talks about other mechanics that 
that's fine. That's great. But I'm not sure if this is really a mechanic. It's I don't even know. No, I don't think it's an absolute I I it. a principle, maybe. Yeah. Um, part of know. the player's style. Yeah. Style. Yeah. Great topic today. And again, um, we're going to be delving out a lot of topics here in the next few weeks. Requirements of a successful coach. We'll be talking about that. We've got a couple of mechanical breakdown series as well with Jeff McNeil and Paul Goldschmidt. And we'll be discussing counteracting the pitcher's strategies in the coming weeks as well. But today, standing in the batter's box is our main topic, episode 137. Do you have that black coffee yet, by the way? Yeah, I just got it. Thank we you, intern it. Vivian. Yeah, there you it's go. It's delicious. We haven't we haven't uh, heard from intern Vivian in a long time. It's been we a while. Haven't. It's because we've been, been working. We've been hitting, right. getting stronger. Set a personal best yesterday for distance on the hit tracks. Look out, twelve years old, getting big. One fifty two. Very good. Seems to be lifting weights, doing some dumbbell curls. That's it. Yeah. Bench pressing. Yeah, I don't landmine press curls will lead to a lot more distance, but you know they make you look said, good in the uniform. There you go. Which is important. Makes you feel um, good. That's, that's right. It's not a joke, by the way. It's not a, we talked about it with the forearms, right? The forearms look good. They make you, that makes the bat feel a little bit smaller in your hands. It's like the, uh, what's that, uh, what's that effect called? What's it called when you, uh, yeah. you take a pill and it doesn't really do anything? Oh, but... a uh, placebo. Placebo. placebo it's like that's what yeah. that's what it is if you look good you feel good you play good it's the placebo effect of baseball and softball it's so right? mental it is i agree it is and all, all baseball is is mental all baseball that would be a great tagline for for baseball all yeah. baseball is is placebo really, when you think about it, that's all it is <laughs> yeah i i read or saw something on who was it was it mike trout talking about you know getting in the batter's box and it was like i if i'm over 10 or 10 for 10 I have to go in there feeling good. I have to go in there knowing I can beat that guy. I have to go in there. Even if I don't, I know I'm only going to beat him, whatever, three times out of 10, 2.8 times out of 10, I'm going to beat him. But I got to go in there thinking I can beat him every single time and having that pedal all the way down every single time. Can't give away at bats in this game. And you have to be confident and you have to get in there and get your hacks in. Whether you're three for three on the day and it's your last at bat, or you're over three on the day and it's your last at bat, you need to hit, right? Keep the pedal down. It's going to move you forward. And if we ever get in the box and we just give away at bats and we're not concentrate, God knows I did it. I did it a lot. I remember my dad yelling at me like, "What are you doing? This was, you know, I was three for three or having a great day, and then your last at bat, you're like, nah, I already got my hits today. We're up by four runs. Let's get this game over with. Never give it give away at bat." Yeah. Because that will catch up to you eventually when you're in a slump going one for 19. <laughs> Absolutely. And average or your, some of your numbers drop. And, man, I really shouldn't have given away that at bat there or that played appearance there. Damn it. Yep. Damn it. I could have went four for four rather than three for four. That's right. How does that play out after six months? That's right. Pedal yep. on the gas. Not after the, one day. Pedal on the gas. Always. Pedal on the gas. Never yep. give away a played appearance. That's where the selfish part of the game comes into play. I don't care if you're up yep. 16. I never bought into that uh, – I guess it's a ghost rule, uh, gentleman's rule, if you will, of um, uh, backing off a little bit, like not stealing yeah. up eight to one. Right. I mean, look, I get it. I'm stealing. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I, you never know what could happen. We saw last year the Mets did it, right? They scored what eight runs in the ninth. The Nationals did it a few years back. I mean, teams are teams can do it, and the athletes are so good. So it's the same thing with hitting, right? 
well, I went three for three today. This bat doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You go four for four. You get up there or you, you walk or you get on base. It does yeah. matter. I don't care if your team's up 16 to two. I don't care. That's 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 their problem if they gave up 16 runs. Not that's yours. right. Right? That's you right. Think about it. Um, you mentioned some hitters in there. Who who was it? Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, and mm-hmm. Vlad. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to ask you a question here. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, when I was a kid, though, I want to tell a quick little story. When I was a kid, I think I've told you this story before. I used to come home from my games, and I used to or Legion games, whatever, and I used to turn on the 10 o'clock edition of Baseball Tonight, right, with Carl Ravage, Peter Gammons, Tim Kirchin, and Harold Reynolds, which arguably was the best panel of Baseball Tonight of all time. It was the best and I used show. To, I used to watch. I used to, it was, it really was. And they were on every night. I used to watch that show just so I can watch certain hitters hit because I like to watch certain stars. And that's, again, I think what's missing in Major League Baseball today. They don't market stars enough to younger people, teenagers. I used to watch that show just so I could see what my favorite hitters did that night on baseball and within the game. I can't remember who my favorite hitters were. But I had a bunch, and I would watch the show just to see what they did. So I want to ask you right now, who are your favorite hitters? I'll tell you some of mine. I'll just uh, I'll lead off with this. All right. Bo, Vlad, Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles, who, by the way, the Orioles, they look like a, a real postseason team. I'm telling you, they look good. Look out. I'm getting a, I'm getting a real 2012 Washington Nationals vibe. From yeah, I was going to say, this is going to be their next five years, right? I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to get the feel here that maybe the, they're playing good fundamental baseball, and that's what young teams need to do. They can't get away with you know mm-hmm. uh, relying on their stars like the Yankees could if they don't play good fundamental baseball and still win. The or- Orioles have to play fundamental baseball, and they're doing that. Um, let me see who else I really like to watch hit. Um, Nolan Arenado, mm-hmm. Correa. Just to name a few. So who are yeah. your favorite hitters right now in baseball, across Major League Baseball, yeah. and why? We're all like, stop and watch a game because they're coming up. Uh, Kyle Schwarber's up You love Schwarber. Sure. You, 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 you love seeing those Schwarber bombs. Yeah, no, but it's, right? it's not even as much as his swing or his style or his rhythm. It's his competitiveness. He rises to the highest stress level there is, but yet he's super relaxed. His mm-hmm. heartbeat is down. He's breathing. There's no stress. He gets, you know, he just kind of waddles into the box and he just never, he never gives up. Like he fouls off tough pitches. He battles, he battles, he battles. That, that at bat he had in the World Baseball Classic, that was the last at bat I actually saw of him in the last game and it may have been the last inning or the second to last inning where he hit that home run after seeing eight pitches and battling and fouling off tough pitches. It was just like, he's, he's going to win. He, he just focuses his focus at the plate and his determination. That's really what, why I like watching him um, from an, from an ability standpoint, I really enjoy watching Manny Machado hit at the plate. I, I enjoy his swing. I enjoy his rhythm. I enjoy the line drives. He backspins out to right center field all the time. And I was going to say Machado. I forgot about him. I'm yeah, sorry. he yeah. just covers the whole yeah. plate. He really does. Um, and he he's another guy, relaxed, kind of an upright stance guy. Um, I like Vlad because I, I really do think Vlad's hand path is is the best in, in Major League Baseball. And I, I said, I don't know how many years we've been going on since he's been in the big leagues. I was 
I was kind of on his bad bandwagon, like you're on Bo's. You know, I've I've always liked Vlad. I feel bad. I saw Bo the other night, well, a couple of weeks ago now against Kansas City. He hit a rocket line drive to straightaway center. Yeah, and it was just shy of the warning track. It was caught. <laughs> Those are the at bats, though. When you we talked earlier in the show, yeah. you know, I went three for three. I I I went three for three, and that last at bat doesn't really matter. It does because there are at bats that you're going to have where you're going to just absolutely scold a ball. Yep. And you're going to hit it right at somebody like Bo did. Yeah. It's a shame. Baseball sucks, man. <laughs> Baseball Doesn't it? You, you hope they fall in, but I really don't think they do. I don't think they quite even out. They don't. They really don't. I I, I hate when announcers say that, too. Well, it'll, it'll all even out. It won't. It never yeah. does. If it all evened out, then hitters would hit 500 every year. Or the great hitters yeah. would hit close to 500 every year if it all evened yeah. out. So that's another myth of baseball. We should yeah, really yeah, do like If you a, looked at a barrel percentage, right? How many balls does this guy hit, you know, 100 miles an hour or right. more, right? Because right. those are well struck. He was on time. He hit the barrel, um, whatever. How is his barrel percentage on, on balls in play ab- above 50%? Then he should, you know, if it all evened out, then you would essentially hit 50, uh, yeah. hit 500. Um, so, so those are your favorite hitters. Okay. Yeah, I like Olsen too. I like Matt Olsen. I forgot about him. Um, again, he's, he's a lot of guys. Guy. I, like, I liked him with Oakland, you know, he's kind of funky, right? He holds his hands weird and upright, but then he really gets into his swing. He gets into his legs. His hands go pretty high. Like Bryce Harper. I, I'm not going to say I don't like watching Bryce Harper because I could watch him hit all day too. Um, uh, but Bryce Harper was usually the guy I would I would compare players hand position at launch mm-hmm. so he's the highest okay actually let me, yeah. okay so I, this guys, this sorry this yeah. leads into my next question I was going yeah. to ask you you're talking about now watching and studying hitters and cert, there are certain attributes mm-hmm. when you watch games when you watch your favorite hitters some of these hitters across major league baseball how do you study them, and how would you suggest that kids, hitters trying to get better, study their favorite hitter to get better and 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 take those attributes from those hitters? Well, it's it's emulation. You know, my my dad said that's how players always learned. Yeah, um, that's how Babe Ruth learned by watching Shoeless Joe. He said, and and then everybody watched Ruth, right? You know, Ted Williams watched Ruth, and then people watched Ted Williams, and. Um, emulation was the key before there were hitting coaches. Remember, there weren't really hitting coaches in the big leagues. I don't know the exact number, but until the 70s, um, I don't know if it was 75 or before that. I'm trying to remember what my dad said, but you might have like a third base coach that helps some guys out. Um, I remember my dad saying, uh, Joe Rudy, you know, is a good friend of his. And obviously, you know, I think Joe probably won three World Series with the A's during the 70s. And he was talking to my dad. They were, you know, just sharing ideas, you know, what works for you and, and, you know, totally different, right? My dad was a left-handed power hitter and Joe was a, you know, right-handed hitter with, you know, had some power, but he wasn't, you know, quite as beefy as Big Mike was. And my dad said, you know, what you should do is just close your stance off and try to go to right center field, buy yourself some more time. So Joe said, okay. And then he played like the next 15 years of his career, however long he played with a huge closed stance. Like if you look at old videos, that's how hitting used to evolve. Hey, yeah. try this, try that. And when I was a kid, I, I just copied everyone. And I mm-hmm. think people of my generation, that's what we did. We all copied Ken Griffey Jr. We copied, I copied Jose Canseco. Some people copied 
Mark McGuire or Ricky Henderson. Oh, or I copied Chase Utley a little bit. Yeah, right. Chipper Jones. You had guys that you liked, and all we did, we didn't have social media. We, I guess we had video games at some point, but I grew up in Southern California once I was 12 years old and older, so we went outside and we we did stuff. You know, We had a tennis ball, and we'd play strikeout, or we'd play wiffle ball, or we'd play over the line, and anytime we played that game, we played it as our favorite player. And our favorite player, if you were going to be Jose Canseco, which I was all the time, or Ken Griffey Jr., the right-handed version, of course, I had to stand that way. And I had to kind of, you know, shake my shoulders and get my elbow in the same position. And that's just what we did. And that was emulation. You know, nobody really taught me how to hit. I guess my dad put the bat, you know, against my shoulder when I was about 13 or 14 when he started, you know, getting into the teaching more. Um, you know, I was the guinea pig, right? For he was trying to create a system for Ted Williams to, you know, to endorse to show him, and I was the guinea pig, and that was really the first hitting instruction I ever received. And I was thirteen or fourteen. I don't even know if it did anything because there was no video back then. You, you know, he just kind of stared at a certain part of the swing and hoped that it it turned out good. You had to have a real watchful eye. Now with slow motion, really anybody can can be knowledgeable. You know, there's a big debate out there that you know can can you know joe smith who's um you know a computer programmer during during the day can he joe smith joe smith sorry is a pitcher married to ali okay well this is joe smith senior joe smith senior i don't think they're related okay no it's a different joe smith yeah um but you know joe smith educates himself and knows that the bat needs to be here in this position and the legs need to work this way and can Joe Smith help his kid to hit? Can can Joe Smith, who maybe never played baseball in his life, can he put his kid on the right path? Well, he absolutely can because with proper information and with an app that can do slow motion video, he can match up and say, oh, it looks like your back foot spinning backwards instead of coming forward. Okay, don't do that. You know, Jake said to make sure your heel goes this way. Okay, and it works. Okay, now can that same guy, Joe Smith, help his kid, you know, create a a plan when he gets to minor league baseball? Probably not, right? He doesn't have that experience of the mental side and creating an approach and thinking along with a pitcher. But I'll tell you what, at a young age, parents are very, very resourceful and very useful to a kid's upbringing because kids aren't going out and pretending to be Chipper Jones for two hours a day hitting balls with their friends. You know, their parents kind of have to take take some initiative and, and help their, their son or daughter on the way from age probably 7 to 13 or 14. Yeah, and they're not kids. They're not learning how to stand in the batter's box, which happens to be today's topic, episode 137. It's true. They're not studying that enough. They're looking at highlights, yeah. right? Looking nope. at highlights and wanting to emulate those highlights rather than really studying. By the way, this week on cross-functionality, we talk about establishing proper goals, making the proper assessment of your talent, your positive attributes, identifying where you are athletically and how to get better. That is all this week on cross-functionality. That is cross-functionality. Myself and Cassie Riley Bosha, one of the best coaching podcasts, in my opinion, out there, but I'm biased. Don't forget the dash. That's no, you say that, but it's true. Don't forget the day. It's cross dash functionality. People sometimes forget and like, oh, well, how do you? Yeah, it's dash. Oh, okay. I can find it now. Cross dash functionality. New episodes every Wednesday, by the way, at 9 a.m. All right. We have a listener question that I want to get to here. Mm -hmm. This might be, and we've been doing the show for a while now. 
We're episode 137 here. This may be the best listener question that I've ever received. So you haven't told it to me yet, but one of my online... It is from one of your online... Yeah, said, I'm thinking of sending in this question. Would it be beneficial? And I was like, it was a great question. I don't remember what it is because I've done like 100 cents, but... Okay. All right. Go, baby. And we've had a lot of good questions, by the way, on this show. So I don't, I don't want to take that away from anybody. We've had a lot of good questions that have come in at JimboPodcast21 at gmail.com. But this one might take the cake because we can finally figure out or at least a- help answer this question as it pertains to a topic that's pretty controversial now as it pertains to showcases with baseball and softball. And our goal here with this question, two-pronged approach, explain – what how we feel about this and help baseball and softball parents with kids who are 13 14 15 16 year old teenagers Mm -hmm. okay here's the question and by the way this is from christopher chris also provided more context with this question he actually provided the email which i'm not going to read the whole thing but an email he received kind of like a flyer type oh. deal from this showcase that I'll read off a little I'll right read off on. some points to it. So it, it adds even more context to what we're talking about here. Okay, listener question. This is from Chris, sent to us via Jimbo Podcast 21 at gmail.com. He writes, Hey Jim and Jake, both of my boys, 14 and 12, have been in the online academy for almost a year now, and they look forward to receiving your feedback and their improvement has been significant. I highly recommend it. Meaning the Epstein Online Hindu Academy, right? the best good little plug there for you the best yeah um for my 14 year old is it worth it to attend one of these perfect game showcases they seem to be everywhere and pushing it real hard lately i wonder if it makes any sense at this age or is it just a money grab it would be cool to get some stats on him and video of him in the field as he's a pretty smooth shortstop i like to hear that good hands i'm sure right Mm -hmm. But I remember, though, don't funnel it in when you have to flip the second turn double play. Young shortstops always forget that. But I just feel that it's way too early. Thanks in advance. And that is from Chris Christopher. I don't know where he's from now. And I say that because the email he sent with the perfect game um, flyer, pulling it up right now. Yeah, Chris is an East Coast guy. I think think it's uh, so the email. This is, I don't know, this is just weird, but not weird. I, I, small world, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, if it if it's the same person. But the email that was sent to Chris was from B. Flannery at perfectgame.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, B. I don't know if it's the same Ben Flannery that grew up in my town, who is a mm. couple of years older than me, who played against me in college at Temple. I don't know if he works for Perfect Game now. I don't know if this is from him, but this email was from B Flannery at yeah. PerfectGame.org. I don't know. Just yeah, so it might be. An a, East, I'm sure it's an East Coast or well, okay. Kinda. So I'm guessing Chris is from New York because, well, maybe not. I don't know. So this, uh, let me explain the email. I'm all over the place here. Chris, so you said Chris is an East Coast guy. Yes. So okay, the flyer here says the perfect game used to be six ninety nine. Now it's four ninety nine. So it's five hundred dollars. And it says register for thirteen U fourteen U Sunshine New York Showcase today. Sunshine. Yeah, right. They have sunshine in New York. Okay, it should be fucking sunshine, Florida. It's been a Jesus. good winter. It's been a good winter though. I'm sure it has. Um, <laughs> it says okay. So this is the this this is where things get a little bit. Mm, 
little bit, a little bit murky, a little bit murky here. It says, congratulations, Andrew. You've been identified as a potential prospect that would benefit from a perfect game showcase. The 13U, 14U, Sunshine, New York showcase. Say that three times fast. Will be held at Brentwood State Park in Brentwood, New York. Blah, blah, blah. June, whatever. Uh, players will be selected from this showcase to the 13U and 14U National Showcase. Any top players? Okay. Um, they give the showcase format. So it, it goes to Chris's point. He wants to get his son on video. So you get some swing analysis, live games, batting practice. Um, you get a written evaluation, performance metrics, player videos, a new era hat. I, you know, if you want a new era, perfect game hat, God bless you. I, I like to stick with my hats or my, you know, um, headband I'm wearing today, but okay, fine. Um, anyway, so that's the, um, that's the email there. Let's get to the first part of the question. Then we'll, we'll talk about this second part because I don't know. There is truth to this with perfect game, by the way, I don't want to, um, you know, completely misrepresent them and then get us, you know, sued. <laughs> um, but anyway, is, is it worth it? 14 year old. And yeah. the same thing goes for softball. I'm sure softball moms yeah. like baseball dads, they mm -hmm. love the game and they want to see their kids succeed, but they probably question, should I send my kid to a showcase? Is it just a money grab? Is it worth it for a 14 year old? Let's say 14 to 16 year olds, not just perfect game, but our showcases in general, are they worth it? Yeah. Someone told me a long time ago, don't go to a showcase unless you're showcaseable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you stand out a, a, amongst the others? Mm -hmm. um, I think what I, what I told them, you know, in, in their analysis was what are your strengths are, you know, is he bigger yeah. physically? Is he hit the ball 10 miles an hour harder than most everybody his age? Is he running a six, eight or a six, nine? Is he the fastest guy that you ever play against? Are you a unicorn? Okay, because uh, at 14 years old, a 14-year-old showcase, they're looking for unicorns. And I there's one I work with here in Colorado who's a unicorn. He's six foot four. I just saw him last week at 190 pounds, and he's in eighth grade. And he hits the ball 90-something miles an hour off a machine with a drop three. Okay, like this this dude stands out. He walks on to a showcase, and they're like, oh, my God. So when, when he goes in there, whether or not he's the greatest athlete or hitter or he's just a big, strong dude, he's going to hit the ball harder than everyone else on a tee. He's going to – his K-Vest metrics are going to be faster and – whatever more in sequence because i've trained him but you know he's gonna look good on that he's gonna look good on video he's gonna look good in a uniform he's gonna look good when they say uh player x six foot four 195 pounds uh runs a seven flat 60 hits the ball 96 miles an hour puts him in the hundredth percentile for players his age okay now whether he what if he has one eye right what if this poor kid lost his eye in a snowmobiling accident, right? And he has no depth perception and he can't catch a fly ball or he can't hit a ball that's moving at him. Guess what doesn't show up on a perfect game showcase list, right? There's nothing in there about vision. It's just like, here's the guy's metrics. Here's how hard he hit it off a front toss or a tee or, or whatever it is. So there's a lot that goes into it. Is it a money gram? Look, it's a business. What do businesses try to do? They try to, they try to earn money. They try to earn as much money as they possibly can 
for their owners, their investors, and their employees. Okay. So they're not doing it out of the kindness of their heart. Does it help players? Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm not against the full showcases, but I wouldn't go to a showcase if you're going to get lost in the mix. You Can know, I say this, if I may? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. You had a lot of good stuff there, but I want to make just quick two points. I'm going to take this lesson with me when I have kids one day. Mm-hmm. And if they want to go to a showcase, although with each day passing, I kind of hope that they just forget baseball. <laughs> just forget, just play something or forget softball. Just play hockey. I love. I would love to be a hockey dad. Oh my god, that would be like yeah. Talk about amazing and expenses. I have like a three times I know, what baseball costs. I know the equipment. I have yeah. a friend uh, who lives in the D.C. area, lives in the D.M.V., and his two sons. They were really little when um, this friend and I worked together. Um, his two kids are hockey hockey kids, yeah. and I'm just watching them grow up, and they become hockey players. It's great. It's like a, that's like that's great. It's like any dream for a dad to have a son who's a hockey player. Anyway, um, but I'm going to take this rule with me when it comes to showcases as, you know, when I do have children, you know, if that day ever comes. If the, I don't want, if that kid's not, you mentioned, if your kid's not ready for a showcase, if you have any question as to whether or not they're ready for a showcase, I wouldn't send them because here's the thing. Yeah. With showcases and evaluators, it's not just perfect game. It's any showcase that's out there. If there's any evaluators that are out there, they get a picture in your in their head of what you are, and then they evaluate you and try to figure out what your ceiling is, right? If you're ready for a showcase and you put on a good show, now they can properly evaluate what your ceiling might be, and that adds stock to you as a player and to your evaluation and helps your future going forward. That's point number one. And point number two, I want to say this about Perfect Game, and they are a business, and we're not bashing them, by the no. way, we're not at all. We're not doing that. They're a business. There's a lot of showcases out there like them, and they're one of the more reputable it, showcases. It is a good service, and it's a and good we're recruiting giving, service as players get older for college and coaches. And we're giving them a free plug here, but we're also being fair. With Perfect Game and all these showcases that are out there, their evaluations, and this is why I don't think players should really go to a showcase until they're 16, even 17 years old, because those evaluations, oftentimes, they're not right. You know, it's a, somebody else's opinion. They're not pro scouts, right? They're not even college evaluators. They're good evaluators, yeah. but that's just, that's just their opinion of what you are as a player. So my point to all of this, when it comes to these showcases, and I want to give an example. I played against a kid. You may remember him at, his name was Billy Rao. I told the story on cross-functionality with Cassie. Billy Rao was two years older than me. He was drafted in 2006 by the Baltimore Orioles. I think it was, Eighth overall, might have been seventh overall. He was drafted before Tim Lincecum, by the way. First high school player drafted in that draft. He played for my rival high school. I was playing first base as a sophomore. He hit a ball so hard. If I didn't put my glove up, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. I I wonder what that exit velocity was. He hit a ball so hard that I probably, if I didn't catch it or put my glove up, I wouldn't be here right today. I don't know. God forbid. Billy Rao went seventh overall to the Orioles. Perfect game ranked him as one of the best prospects of all time. Billy Rao didn't get out of double A. So my point is, when you go to a showcase, if you do choose to do that at 14, 15 years old, even 16, and your valuations aren't where you want them to be, I suggest kind of putting that to the side and working on what your weaknesses are while continuing to refurbish what your strengths are as it pertains to baseball and softball, because there's a lot of room to grow. I just saw, I mentioned it last week, if you remember with Bo Bichette, I've seen him grow and put on muscle within the last two years 
that you know a lot of players at that age do do indeed put on that muscle. So things things could really change between ages 16 and 25. People have to keep that. In yeah, mind. but the problem is everybody wants to go to a showcase when they're 14, and 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 it. But we're back- suggesting. I'm suggesting here. Yeah. I don't think that you actually should do that. I don't think it's smart. Number one, because then they're going to put a cap on your ceiling of what you are as a player. And number two, you might not like the metrics that you get back because you haven't fully grown into what kind of player that you possibly could be in the future. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's that's the problem is, is puberty, my friends. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but puberty hits people at different times. Some people, the kid that's six foot four in, in eighth grade, I, I have kids that are like 16 years old and they're 140 something pounds. And they're trying to make a high school baseball team. I mean, that sucks. And it's hard, right? No matter what their skill level is, they're better than most mechanically. They have great baseball smarts. The coaches like them, but the kid can't hit a double because he just, he's not strong enough yet, right? He doesn't have hair under his arms. So that's the whole showcase part. You get on a list. So if you're 14, you're a unicorn. You post numbers, you're in the top 98 percentile of every other 14-year-old. Hey, that's a really good thing. Go to that showcase, get your listing, get your rating. Then when you go again in a year or two, they're going to be like, okay, what were the top X players in the 14U class a year later? Let's go watch them. Yeah. Okay. But if you're just like everyone else, if you're like the other 95% of the people there, it's just, it's like the minor leagues, right? 90% of minor leaguers are there for 10% of the prospects. Okay. They have to fill out a field for the prospects that are out there. Sorry. That's just kind of the way it has always been. Not as much anymore because there's not, um, you know, 45 rounds or 50 rounds or 60 rounds like there used to be. But no, you have but your prospects, very, you have your 15 still prospects. Similar. And everyone is there to make sure that they can get their innings in. Okay, We have to feel the team at every level. Now, it doesn't mean there's not other players that are going to make it through that aren't part of that 15 top prospects in the organization. But, you know, that's that's what it's there. That's what the showcase is for, too. Most of those kids that go to the showcase that are really good and have really good numbers, they don't pay for that showcase. Okay? They just want them there to have a perfect game social media post. They want to... And- yeah. And, and I just want to say, um, when showcases, I'm not, gonna, I'm not again, I'm, I don't want to just say perfect game. All the showcases do yeah. it. This is just part of the marketing. When showcases say you have the opportunity and putting that flyer as as it was mm-hmm. with Chris in his flyer, when they say you have a chance to move on to some of the best to part of a yeah. group of some of the best fourteen or whatever it was fourteen fifteen year old prospects in the country, that's again, that's all marketing. That's to yeah. get you to pay and and that's their business every business right. has marketing right and I mean, hey, this podcast has marketing a, that's you the way do it have is, a chance to do that and you have a chance to do <laughs> that you better be a unicorn and you better not put too much credence in my opinion into what showcases say and worry more about what you need to work on and there's showcases for everyone you know 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 who you are as a player know where you are and if you're a high academic guy do the high academic showcases it's a much better fit if you have above a 3.6 or 3.7 in high school. Obviously, 14-year-olds may not even be in high school yet. But, you know, go to your head first showcases. Go to your – oh, I can't remember the name of the other one. But there's a couple high academic showcases with smaller schools, you know, which mm-hmm. which is great. It's, it, it helps those coaches 
be it, it helps them uh, evaluate players in masses. You know, they don't have to go to every single high school game all you know all summer long. They can go to these showcases and and be able to see players. So there is there there are benefits to showcases. I, I don't want you to say that you shouldn't go to a showcase, but I wouldn't go to a showcase until you're ready. Um, and you have to have the funds. You know, how are you going to spend with that five? This is a tough time. You know, for for people and families right now. I know I, my grocery bills are like four and $500 every month more every single month right now. So do you have the excess money? You know, maybe you invest that money somewhere else. You know, you let the kid take extra batting practice at the batting cage, or you rent a, rent a cage a couple times, a couple times a week. You know, is it worth spending that big number at that age if, you know, you're in kind of that situation? So there's a lot of things to weigh, but I, you know, the fact that uh, Chris's son is, is a really good shortstop, okay, maybe, you know, maybe you do want to get him seen. You know, maybe he is that good. I don't know. I don't I do not do videos. I, I get game videos, you know, and sometimes they'll put in, you know, defensive plays. But the big thing is you also want them. It's kind of like the SAT, right? Everybody gets super nervous the first time they take the SAT. Oh, my goodness, or the ACT. This is my future. If I do poorly – uh, boom, and they start freaking out, right? And then they take it another time, and it's like, hmm, that was that was a lot easier. And then all of a sudden, you know, their their heart rate comes down. It's the same thing with a uh, with a showcase. You know, throw them in. Look, if you're gonna want to go to a showcase when you're 16 or 17, maybe it's not a bad idea to see what they're like, right? Get out there, throw the ball around, see how the older guys that are more seasoned do it. You know, how do they throw the ball across the infield with eight crow hops? You know, how do we throw the ball? <laughs> let me get, let me get that miles per hour. Right, I'll say this. Miles I'll... per hour. It doesn't matter where the ball goes if the first baseman catches it. You know, how do they take BP? They're probably not taking the first three swings to the opposite field on the ground for a hit and run, right? They're probably trying to hit yeah. every ball out of the park and hit his you know, what is the process? So for that, hey, not a bad learning experience, you know, to go to one of those. Does it mean it has to be a you know really high-end perfect game or can it be just a local showcase? Um, that that maybe some schools are doing. So that's never a bad idea, too, is to kind of see how they work. I remember they didn't have showcases when I was growing up, but they had the area code, the area code games, which are still going on today, which um, if you make that, you were uh, at least back then, if you were on the area code team, then you were pretty much going to get a scholarship. You're offer because you were the best big players from California, Northern California, wherever your team is out of. And I remember I, the the first tryout I went to, I, I was a freshman. They let me try out. They usually didn't take you until you were a, a junior. But I got to try out as a freshman, which was really cool. And I think I got one at bat was all at the tryout. But it was, like, insane. Like, yeah. I was so nervous. All these dudes. So I caught Jarrett Wright. I don't know if you remember Jarrett Wright, the pitcher. He pitched right the big leagues forever. He threw, like, 98 miles an hour. Yeah. I was a catcher, and I was, like, 14 or 15 and had to go catch him you know, in front of, I don't know how many scouts that were out there. And I think I probably may have dropped something at home plate after the first pitch, but I was so scared and nervous. Right. Yeah. And then I knew I wasn't going to make the team. And then the next year I got an invite to, to take part in the tryout again. It was a little bit easier. And then by my junior year, right. I was more comfortable. So 
that's never a bad idea too, to, to be exposed to the situation so that they don't freak out when it does matter most. I'll say this as we wrap this up, because we have about 10 more minutes left in our show. We got to talk about the damn batter's box, Jim. We got to get to our, our main topic. By the way, for those of you who lacked faith in us, we've, we're, we're going to get 50 minutes out of today's episode. I'll say this about showcases, all of them, except the area code. Because of Chris's great question. And yeah, that was a the, that might be that's the goat of questions on the Lab Epstein hitting podcast. We may never get another good question. Nothing like to do again. with swings or mechanics either. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll say this about showcases, and I take this for what it's worth with a grain of salt. I'm just going off experience and what I know. Okay, major league scouts, scouts who work for team, big league teams, analytical departments, they don't really look at your showcase rankings or numbers. Because you know why you know why they don't? Because they rank you themselves. That's that's their jobs. That's what they get paid to do. That's what they get their 401ks to do. All right. So that's take it for what it's worth. Yeah, but there are cases are valuable, but keep that in mind. Yeah. All right. Chris, great question. Any other questions, email us jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. And good luck Chris's to his boys are awesome too, by the way. Well, good luck to his uh his kids as they go forward. Um yeah. Maybe we can get the little ones on the real fiery. Oh, perfect. Very yeah, good. Yeah, he gave me. I'm trying to think. He really cracked me up. I'll never forget him because my kids are like his age. And I think they turned the video on to record him the first time when, like, I hadn't even met this kid yet, essentially, with the online cam. They turned the camera on and he's like, hey, queen. And then he just started hitting. And this kid, I don't know how old he is. I think he's like 12, maybe, or 13. I mean, it cracked me up. Like, I, I don't think that they knew that I could hear the audio when they, because mm-hmm. it's all slow motion, and I totally busted him on it. But it tells me right. that kid's going to go places. He's going to be a locker room, uh, locker room star one day. Episode 137. Again, Chris, thank you for the question. Talking about standing in the batter's box, the proper place to stand in the batter's box but there are so many more elements to that and the one element number one that's at the top of the list for me it's to gain more time right i'm going to give you some perspective here at a hitter's reaction time give or take they've got about 0.40 seconds Mm -hmm. right or four tenths of a second to react the average launch to contact is 0.15 therefore if you connect the dots the hitter has about 0.25 seconds to make a decision to swing or not, give or take, because guys are throwing LaSalle a lot math harder. math at its finest, baby. Yeah. Guys are throwing a lot harder nowadays, so mm-hmm. my LaSalle math could ultimately I think be that's a 90-mile-an-hour, if I'm not mistaken. 90-mile-an-hour yeah, so, is 0.4. Okay, so give or take. You shave off a few seconds, mm-hmm. and you, you probably get you know, the proper um, you know, Harvard or you know George Washington University math, not LaSalle. <laughs> okay. All of this, of course, assuming that you have good mechanics at the plate and your mechanics in that moment are very solid. But those numbers just give you context and make you better understand, hey, look, we have to really think about where we position ourselves in the batter's box and how it relates to our approach. So Ted Williams, I mean, if we go back to uh, really the first person that talked about where to stand in the batter's box, that that at least I remember from his book was you want to make contact in fair territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to make contact in fair territory, which is right at the front of home plate. So if your barrel is kind of at the front of home plate, um, you're going to be you're going to have more of the field to essentially hit with. If you hit it deeper in the zone, your angles because don't the foul lines come off the point of home plate, right? It comes 
that's where the you know first base and third base. You're so making you a make, V with your hands for those. Yeah. Not so if watching. you make contact in front of that, essentially your your angle is slightly larger to hit a ball fair, right? So most players when they stride, their front foot is at the front of home plate, and we want to make contact for the most part at about our front foot. So what I usually do to start with is is I'll have a player figure out how how far their stance is and make sure when their front foot lands, it's at the front of home plate. Now that's just baseline. Here we go. I don't really know how good your mechanics are yet. Um, I, I don't know how quick you are to the ball, but that's fairly, you know, for a small player, it's not quite the back of the box because they're small. But for a f- fully grown player, if their front foot starts at the like the first point of home plate, I should say the second point working backwards, like the front point is the front of home plate. And then there's the second point behind it. If they start at that second point and stride to the first point, someone that's six foot will be in the back of the batter's box. Somebody that's four foot five, right? That's a little kid. They'll be more in the middle of the batter's box. So that all depends. Now, the other thing is, you know, how big are they? Um, So I'm six foot five and have, I don't remember how long my arms are. Yeah, your wingspan is pretty large. Like that. I don't know. I have long arms. You've got Joel Embiid wingspan. Yeah, I have a long bat. I swung a 34, 35-inch bat, 34 and a half when I was, you know, in pro ball. I could cover a lot more of the plate than than a kid that's 12 years old and and five foot one with you know 27-inch arms. So those younger players really, if they're trying to cover the plate efficiency efficiently without pre-extending their arms without casting, they have to be closer to the plate. Okay. The plate doesn't change. It's always 17 inches. In fact, at the young ages, it's more like 24 inches, right? I mean, that's a big plate that those little kids have to cover. Umpires are, you know, usually erring on the side of the pitcher, throwing a strike. So it makes it more difficult on the young player. So if I was basing it, you know, if you were going through kind of my online stuff, or if you've attended some of my seminars or certifications, the length of a player's foot, if you take the the length of their foot and they put it against the batter's box line, whatever that is, 8 inches to 14 inches, that's kind of where I would start a player. Okay, so a, a smaller player with smaller feet essentially will be closer to the plate. Again, this is all, I don't know you as a player. I don't know what your swing is like. This is where we should start. So you're going to be in the the rear, you know, half of the batter's box. I would say the rear third of the batter's box, and you're going to be fairly close to the plate. Now, other, do you have anything to say, or do you want me to keep going? Because I, well, I was going to ask you, yep. um, what about standing closer or further from the plate? I mean, everybody yep. now, I think, stands in the back of the box, and yep. I mean that front foot. I'm a left. I was a left-handed batter, so that front right foot always matched up with the back corner of the plate. Yeah. And my stance was wide enough to where I pretty much was standing in the back of the box. Yeah. Thinking that would give me more time, which yeah. it did, but there was other factors to this as well. But what about where you stand in the box relative yeah. to to uh, horizontally uh-huh. uh, to the plate? Whether it's, you know, uh, standing in the middle of the box, standing a little bit off or standing a little bit off the plate. Yep closer to the plate, where do you stand when it comes horizontally to the plate? And some of that has to do with fear. So mm-hmm. with younger players, they're usually more afraid of the ball than an older player. And so they'll tend to step out 
Okay. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll step out if they're right-handed to the third base side, or even if it's an inch or two inches, this is, this is not good. They'll tend to do that. So what do they do? Okay. So they'll start closer to the plate. Cause their coach is like, Hey, you're not covering the outside part of the plate. Or dad's like, you know, you're, you're, you're bailing out. You better get closer to the plate. So the kid's like, okay, I'll get closer to the plate. So the kid gets closer to the plate and then they're more scared, right? They're like, oh my God, now I'm right on top of the plate. What do they do? They start stepping out even more. Okay. So a lot of times when I have players that are scared and they're stepping out as I move them farther away from the plate to give them a little bit of like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I got a little less stress, but then I have them step into the plate. I have them dive into the plate to overcompensate what they were doing. So remember, was that two weeks ago? We did we did a player breakdown of the great Derek Jeter. We did, and if you episode go episode one thirty five, go back in the archives and listen and watch. Yeah, go go watch that one because it yeah. shows you video of exactly what he does. Um, but you see where he starts and where he steps. Like he closed off a lot, and sometimes I'll do that to break players' habits. So sometimes if I have a player that's scared, I move them off the plate, then I get him to step towards the plate. So. In the beginning, they're they're relaxed. Okay, I'm off the plate, but then they know they can't cover it, so they better get back in there with their stride leg. Okay, now that's just one thing you can try. The issue is when are they stepping? So now we have to deal with that. So I had a player the other day who's a little stud. He's like 10 years old. I don't know where they're from. I don't know if it's Texas or California. I can't remember, but I did his video yesterday, and he's got like the best 10-year-old mechanics that I've seen, like you can't really get better, but all of a sudden he got drilled. And so now he's moving late. So what he's doing is when the ball comes out of the hand, when you're little, they don't throw very hard, right? So the ball comes out of the hand, then he decides to step. So if the ball's coming at him, he's stepping left. If the balls go into the, he steps right. So he's stepping all over the place because he's stepping late. He's reading the pitch and then stepping. So for him, the fix is, okay, we need to get you off the plate and then we need to get you to stride sooner so your foot is already moving by the time the ball is released because he's making life too complicated. You have to stride before that ball is... doesn't mean you have to have your foot down before the ball is released. It means you have to start the process of striding the, before the ball is out of the hand. That will help him. So instead of taking him... So he's bailing out big time. Like his whole posture comes up and out while the ball is in the way. So I have to get him off the plate and get him striding back into the plate. But that only will work if he starts striding at the right time. So there's so much that goes into it. And that's why having a, another set of eyes, you know, kind of looking and seeing, because most people are like, oh, he's stepping out. Hey, you know, Joe Smith, the third. Joe, don't step out. You got to step in. But it won't be fixed unless he changes his timing and starts moving and starts loading a little bit sooner. Okay, so there's that. Um, if you pre-extend your lead arm a little bit, a la Manny Machado, uh, not Manny, Manny Machado, no, uh, Tatis. Um, well, Machado yes. does a little bit. What's that? Uh, no, no, you're right. I was thinking of, I was thinking of somebody else, but Tatis. Yeah, pool holes, pool holes. Michael Young used to do that, by the way. Too. Machado, Michael Young did do that. There's that photographic uh, memory, by the yeah, way. Yeah, right. And, and so those guys may feel more comfortable being off the plate. Maybe you have guys that like to hit the ball. They like to extend their arms more. Okay, so in to, I will tell you, I, the one thing I have is experience, and yes. I see a ton of players, right? Whether it's on video or in person, I see a lot of players. And I will tell you now that 
probably 80% or more of the players that I see will hit more balls off the end of the bat than they will get jammed. Okay? Then they will hit towards later. I'm not talking about bad. I'm talking about we miss the barrel by one ball. So our exit velocity is like 80% of a barrel, 85% of a barrel. But 80% of those balls are towards the end of the bat, not towards the jam part of the bat. Even though these players aren't far away from the plate, and it's because of what is taught, everybody is like, rotate hard, rotate fast, turn, uh, you know, load the hip and release it. And, and so everybody is over swinging and they're running out of bat. That's why you have the farm board guys who I, I have, you know, I don't have opinions either way. I, I have opinions Ugh. actually about everyone. Um, I think there are some things the farm board guys are really like onto. 100%. I think. They are on to things. I think Teacher Man has some awesome stuff too, right? But may I just say something or no? But if you go all in, okay. maybe one or the other, how you <laughs> okay. see it, you might, you might. The key is to like, you know, kind of figure out what works best for you. If somebody over rotates, then the farm board, some of the farm board stuff will work for you. I think if somebody doesn't yeah. rotate at all, then I think some of the other guy's stuff would work for you. I will say that I take I'll, bits and pieces of everyone that I ever see or come in contact with because people are smart and people do good things, but people also try to make money, okay? And, and they're the not Jake Epstein, make, who's renowned. Yes, and the only way to make money is to kind of like come up with something new, right? To come up, I'll be honest, like everything that's taught today was like my dad's stuff in the late 90s. I agree. Right? May I just say something though? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'll take Richard's stuff teacher man over yeah. the farm board every day of the week i'm sorry okay. the farm board with that back foot sliding it, it just fucking irks me it does but that's a that's a hundred and fifty percent of probably what they're trying to get a point maybe not maybe we're trying to get but I, i'm just the telling idea you. Okay, of I, I should say Whatever. this the idea of Fine. swing direction i get and i okay I, I get what they're doing there, and I get what they're trying to overdo by creating that. Okay, now if yeah. you just had a player do that for three months straight, I'm I'm not sure it would be beneficial anymore. If you had somebody that just loaded their back hip and then unwound everything, um, I'm not sure that would be beneficial. But I think if you had someone that could could teach the person that's needed. And I'm not saying that those guys don't, okay, because I'm not in their lesson. And for the record, I I take Jake, Jake Epstein, my former coach, over everybody. I'm just Thank telling you, you if, I had to, if I had to compare the two, you know. Yeah, but I'm not – And I hope and, Jake and, is and again, still coaching when – he will be, but I hope he is willing to coach my kids. I've said this before, coach my kids. I, I will – I they're not hockey not have any – dark hair left but i'll i'll still be if they're I not love what i do they I may be hockey players that people uh, i, I right. just i think i told you Before did i tell you in the last broadcast i i worked with my first like second generation player so mm -hmm. I, I worked with a kid in college and uh i was young when i started teach i was right out of baseball when i worked with him like 24 maybe and now i've worked with his nine-year-old kid the other day <laughs> Wow. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And then I had another call yesterday of a kid I worked with when he was like 10. Now he owns a bat company um, and they make really, really good bats. So once I get some samples, we'll uh, we'll throw them. We'll Do they throw want to sponsor the podcast or what? What's that? Do they want to sponsor the show or what? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, their bats are really beautiful. He 
he takes a lot of pride in them. But um, right. anyway, so well, we'll, we'll talk um, about Berg Bats. Yeah, maybe they'll be our sponsor one day. We have but to wrap up. Get, getting back to Epper, getting Epper, back Epper. to we've got, we've got to wrap up where there. we stand in the box, right? Yes. If we have a close, if we close off when we stride, yeah. we need to start further away from the plate. If you're like Chris Davis back in the day, Chris Davis with a K, Oakland. Texas. We did a mechanical breakdown of him, by the way, yeah. way back. When. If you kind of open up and step out with your front foot, you have to be closer to the plate, okay? If you cast a little bit, you have to be farther from the plate. If you don't extend very well and you over-rotate or you rotate really hard and you don't yeah. know how to decelerate on pitches away, you have to be really close to the plate. So there are so many variables that go into where we stand. But it has to do with individual hitters. I'll tell you a story of I like my dad because it's a funny story. It's a great story. Um, mm-hmm. He goes to spring training in 1965, maybe, maybe 1966. Uh, he wins the he, – he was the A-ball MVP. He skipped A-ball, went to AAA, uh, won the triple crown at AAA. He's like 23. They sent him to big league camp with the Orioles, and he's in a hitting group with like, you know, Frank Robinson and Boog Pal and Brooks Robinson, whoever, I mean, like studs, right? Hall of Famers. So Frank Robinson, most people don't, they probably remember who he is, but they don't. He used to stand really close to the plate. Okay. If you look at videos of Frank Robinson, he stood really close to the plate and he was an unbelievable hitter, right? He was like a three, two, one batting titles, I believe. So Frank's, my dad used to step off. He was kind of far away from the plate. And he hit a lot of balls to like left center, but my dad was massive. So his last round of BP, my dad hits like four balls over the palm trees. And these guys are like, holy cow, Mike, you got some serious power, you know? And so Frank Robinson says, Mike, you know what you should do is you should, you should get closer to the plate. If you get closer to the plate, those outside pitches, you'll be able to pull, right? Baseball was a little different back then, right? The balls weren't as hard and the stadiums were pretty big. So you had to pull most of your home runs. There weren't a lot of opposite field home runs in the 60s, okay? So here's Frank Robinson, future Hall of Famer, tells my dad, hey, you need to get closer to the plate. So what does my dad do? Gets close. He's like, okay, Mr. Robinson, I'll get closer to the plate. My dad said, and he swung a big bat. Like, it was hard to break 35, 34-ounce bats with giant handles. He said he broke six bats in the next, like, four games because he moved closer to the plate, and he didn't have the swing to do it. So you can't just go in and out. You have to know who you are as a hitter in order to be successful Um, and and where you're standing in the box. And the better your mechanics, typically you can be a little bit closer. I'm talking about younger players. So younger Mm -hmm. players that aren't fully developed were 100 pounds. Um, You know, I was talking about my own kid, right? And she's she weighs like 92 pounds. I don't know, 91 pounds. Like, how hard are you going to hit the ball at 91 pounds? Right. What are we trying to accomplish here? I don't know yet. So this is where we stand. But as players get bigger and stronger, then essentially they can move further away from the plate. But when players are small, what are the big muscles in their body? Their core, their abs, their obliques, their back, their shoulders, their glutes. So what do they do to create power? They spin. okay, and they turn fast. And when they turn fast, you have to be closer to the plate because your barrel, unfortunately, probably isn't going to have, you know, the right direction to cover the entire plate. All right. Well, great stuff today. You were we could probably fire. honestly talk another hour on that, but this is what I do with the online academy. It's like, that's why I always want to see game video. 
I always want to see game video to see what the feet are doing because that will tell me, hey, maybe we should do this or that when we're in the batter's box, be closer or further away from the plate. Well, we might be able to do that, talk yeah. another hour on it. You know why? Because next why, week, Jim? episode 138, by the way, for those who thought, hey, standing in the batter's box, how are you going to get 40 minutes out of that? We just got an hour, motherfucker. <laughs> not, not to mention we got about, what, 25 minutes of that, of the actual topic. So we yeah. almost got the 30 the net, the net time, 30, right? <laughs> um, episode 138 next week, talking about pitchers moving a hitter's feet. Ooh. Very important. Ooh. It kind of pertains to what we're talking about today. See how I did that? A little connectivity there. Yeah, that's good because we can, we can kind of revisit this topic a little bit more and expand. That's next week, episode 138. Anything coming up before we uh, get out of here? Anything going on? No. No. Okay. Yeah. No, everything's going Follow on. Us at Jim Tara at Epstein hitting on yeah, Twitter. No, everything's time. going on. Send me your all, all you online guys. Keep sending in those game videos. I love Game Changer. This is like if I had enough money to advertise on Game Changer, I would because you can send me your game clips so easily and I can evaluate your stance <laughs> where you're standing in the box. Your mm -hmm. rhythm, where we're moving, I will tell you, um, over 90% of players under the age of 12 stride at the wrong time. So that's like the biggest thing. So those of you that are part of the academy or not, join. I mean, even if it's for one analysis, like figure out where our timing is. Because if you stride at the wrong time in a game, your mechanics will totally break down. And it won't matter how good your swing is. All right, well, good stuff this week. We're on fire, episode 137. Listen, subscribe, watch on YouTube, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast page, and we will talk to you next week.